This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Ollie Tikkanen. Welcome, everyone. This is the second part with Hyro, and if you haven't listened to the first one, we discussed about GGIR software package, which is a set of algorithms to analyze uh, three axial acceleration signals to get information about sleep, sedentary behavior, and physical activity. So welcome, Hyro, for the second part. Thank you so much, Alice. Yeah, so so you have done this uh, paper related to analytical approaches to assess association with accelerometer-determined physical activity behaviors in epidemiological studies published last year. Could you tell more about this this work? Yeah, that was a really interesting work. I, I was lucky not to be part of it. Um, it started in a workshop that we did in Granada. So we, we I guess like everyone, we had a, a lot of questions related to how to analyze the physical activity data in our projects to, to answer the research questions that we have. And we had a lot of questions. We were continuously emailing people that they were publishing good stuff or publishing things that we were interested in. And it got to a point that we thought, what if we invite all those people and we have a nice discussion here in Granada and we maybe that way we, we get to, to more clear answers on how to analyze our data. And this is what, this is what we did and we did a, a workshop there in Granada. We invited people from uh, from Europe mainly for logistic reasons and, and we had really interesting discussions there and at one point we thought maybe these discussions that we're having here, maybe this uh, this uh, uh, conclusions that, that we are reaching, we shouldn't keep them. We, we should share them with the community because we think that they could be interesting for many people out there. And this is what we did. And we started working on 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 summarizing everything in this paper. And then we talked to to the editor of the uh, British Journal of Sport, Sport Medicine, and they were interested in in this paper. And this is uh, how it evolved. It was a really nice experience to 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 share this work with all these nice people in, in the area. I learned a lot from it, and I think it can be really useful for for everyone. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting way of doing a, a paper that you actually want to learn something yourself, and you invite experts, and then you publish publish those because you needed that information. Probably there's a lot of other people needing it. And and in in the paper you have a, a flow chart showing how how to pro- progress. Could you could you tell a little bit more? Maybe if you have the flow chart visible, you can also also open it. Okay. Yeah. So the the story of this flow chart is that uh, we we submitted the paper, and then one of the editors uh, told us, "What is your summarize all the proposals that you are doing in a kind of a decision tree of how people with different sort of data should progress in their decision making to know what kind of of, 
of analytical approach should they should they use. And that's how we came to the idea that we it will be mainly interesting, maybe interesting to to include uh, this kind of flow chart so that people can just answering some easy question get to know what kind of analytical approach fits better to their data and their research question. And this is what we try to do. And we hope that it's easy enough to to understand and to follow this flow chart. It has uh, so you have the the data in in the flow chart, and then you have your output, and your output is mainly divided in three different categories. So we have three different analytical approach approaches in this flow chart, and depending on your answers, you will be directed to one of them. Yeah. So you have, for example, in the beginning, you have raw accelerometer data and then derive accelerometer data descriptions of your interest and you have time use behaviors and you have intensity spectrum could you, could you tell more about how how those are different yeah so the time use behavior is just the time use of the day in the different estimates of the physical for example physical activity intensities of physical activity modes or types like walking cycling and so on and sedentary behavior and sleep, of course, because they are also part of the 24 hours of the day. The intensity spectrum is more descriptive. So there you don't make an assumption of what intensity of physical activity you're doing or what type of physical activity you are doing. The intensity spectrum is only a categorization of the of the of the signal in different blocks. So it's like time spent from zero to 50 millijis time spent from 50 to 100 millijis and so on. It's more descriptive. So you can get more categories there, but you are not making assumptions of what behavior you are doing in every moment. Then you have also the others. You have scalar descriptions, acceleration functions. Could you, could you tell a little bit about those? Yeah. yeah, so these are other features of the signal that some people have been proposing in the field. So we're not intending, we're not trying here to to have everything that people can use. we This is just a summary of what people are using more in the literature. Uh, so these are, this, we are not trying to say that these are the only metrics you can use from a, an accelerometer, of course. Well, these are just a summary of what we have seen in the literature. Um, for example, the average acceleration is just the, the average of the recording throughout the day or throughout the day and the night. And the MX metrics are the maximum minutes metrics that have been proposed by Alex Rowlands. So, for example, the M5, the maximum 5, will tell you how active are you in the five most active minutes of your day. So, if you... If you Take the, the the five minutes with highest acceleration recording in, in your in your in your day, and this will be your maximum five metric. And there, then of course you can get into the patterns and get some information about the bout uh, or sedentary breaks or the sleep efficiency. All, all of this is what we we summarize here as scalar descriptors because they are scalar variables. And then you can also be interested in the acceleration curve in a specific time of the day or, or during the day. This will be more like the, the functions, acceleration functions. 
Yeah, and how do you see these different different variables? Some are scalar, some are in different formats, some are continuous. And you've been doing code for the GTIR. How do you? What would you like people to understand about different variables, variables in different formats or categories? What, what people usually miss with this? What do they don't take into consideration? Yeah, with each one of these variables, this variable with every variable, you get some information about the, the acceleration recording and about your movements, because at the very end, acceleration are telling us about movement, nothing else. And it just depends on your in, interest, on your research questions that you will be, will or should focus more on one variable or another. So the selection will, should be driven for I mean, the, the solution should be driven by your research question, not the other way around. You cannot say, I'm going to use, for example, the MX matrix for whatever thing I, I want to do. Uh, the MX matrix can fit very well to a specific research question and cannot fit to a different one. So it, I think it should be the other way around. You, you have a research question, then you look for the best metric to answer that research question and the best analytical approach to answer that research question. Yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. I think, I don't know if all, all researchers who maybe don't study physical activity as their main variable, but they want to have it as an additional. So maybe for them, sometimes it might be useful to know what kind of things they can measure and then add it. So could you somehow give, give, a, give a kind of general description that what kind of Things, what kind of questions you can you can reply with with different kinds of kinds of variables? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, let's start with the time use behavior. They just tell you how much time you you spend in a different in a specific behavior or physical activity intensity. So they will tell you how much time a person spends sitting or sleeping or in moderate to vigorous physical activity in a day or in a week or in whatever time frame you want to, to define. Uh, the time is behavior uh, are being used a lot with compositional data analysis in, in recent papers. So they, they are uh, more and more researchers are now interested on how how is the interaction be between the, these different time use behaviors, how increasing us can derive you to decreasing another and, and so on. So this will be time, time use behavior. So it's just the time you spend in a day in a certain category or behavior. And the intensity spectrum is just a development of, of this. So in that case, you don't make an assumption of what behavior you are doing, but the interpretation is the same. It's how much time you spend in, in a given acceleration range let's say from 0 to 50 or from 50 to 200 and, and so on. So the time use behaviors make assumption of what kind of behavior you're doing. The intensity spectrum is less, uh, is, is more descriptive about acceleration itself. It's less, uh, uh, it makes less assumptions about what kind of behavior you're doing. And then uh, a very good summary of the uh, acceleration signal will be the average acceleration. In that case, you have just one number to summarize your movement throughout the day. And it's just the average acceleration that you have reached throughout the 24 hours of the day. So 
let's say, the, the higher it is, this average acceleration, we can assume that this person has moved more throughout that day. Uh, and then the MX metrics talk more about your most active part of the day. How active has this part been? So you can see, for example, uh, if you're if uh, if you are analyzing data in children, you know that the physical activity activity recommendations for children at 60 minutes of moderate to vigorous physical activity per day. So is the MX metrics for the 60 minutes, I mean, the 60 minutes more active in a child day, if they are above the moderate to vigorous intensity, you can say that these children are meeting the recommendations. So for example, the MX matrix could be useful for that, to know about people meeting or not meeting the recommendations. And you can, you can get that from the time use behavior metrics, but you can also get that from the, the MX matrix. So it's the other way around. You, in the MX matrix, you, you take the accelerations and, and change the time. So you get the M5, M60, M10, and so on. And in the time use behavior, you have a constant behavior and you count how much time you're spending it. It's like a, the, the opposite approach, but you can get very similar information from them. Uh, and then I see the, the other scalar descriptors that we have here, I see them as comp complementary, if you can get more into the patterns, into, for example, uh, let's say two persons have the same amount of moderate to vigorous physical activity, let's say they have one hour per day, but one person have this hour focus in a 60 minutes run in that day, and the other person have like different transportation to different places, and they, they, they this second person has split the, the pattern of the physical activity throughout the day. So maybe he is active in different parts of the days and the, the person one is active only during this very specific 60 minutes. So this you can get that with these complementary scalar descriptors. And acceleration functions, uh, I'm not very expert on them. I have not used them uh, before, but the, they are more about making less assumption on, on the data and just taking the acceleration itself and applying some functional data analysis to, to them to get some estimations of, on different components of the signal or different behaviors. Are you a medical doctor, physical therapist, personal trainer, or someone else helping individuals in making a change towards a healthier, better life? Imagine a behavior change tool designed for professionals like you to help your clients achieve better results and at the same time provide you with more income. Fibian is that tool. It offers an evidence-based way for health and wellness professionals to extend their services into coaching. The only thing your client needs to do is put a tiny Fibian device into their pocket for a week. The device collects objective physical activity data from your client. Fibian helps you to educate and coach your clients through this change towards a more active and healthy life. Strengthen your expert status. Distinguish yourself from the competition. Order Fibian now at Fibian.com. Yeah, I, I started to think about the difference between time use behaviors and MX metrics, that what's kind of the difference if you measure that how many minutes somebody have done MVBA or you look at what is the intensity of their most intensive 60 minutes and, and kind of thinking like, does it make a difference? 
And and if you compare, have you seen studies that compare kind of to those two? Is it actually putting people, for example, in the same order, or or is there is there difference? Yeah, I guess they should correlate very well. Uh, so people who spend more time in MBPA will have a higher NX metric. I will expect that. And I think they can provide very complementary and very uh, correlated data. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is something to, to, to look at if they they can complement each other. I guess there are some papers about that already published. And and if we continue with the flow chart, so basically then you have different yes, no descriptors, maybe not need to go all of them. What is kind of the basic idea of it? How does it help with you you with the with the statistics? Yeah, so at that point, then your next question, you already have your raw data, you already know what kind of descriptors you are going to use because you get the descriptor that fits better to your research question. The the next question you have to answer is what kind of anal- statistical analysis sh- should I do to answer my research question? And this is the second part of the flowchart. Uh, it's, it's about selecting a specific analytical approach for your research question. And to do so, we, we propose some different questions that you may have. And depending if you answer yes or no to those questions, we will lead you to a, to a specific analytical approach. And these are functional data analysis, standard regression, and multivariate pattern analysis. So pretty useful paper and pretty useful flowchart if anyone is, is doing epidemiological studies with the accelerometer data. So you can check the paper. It's called Granada Consensus and so on from 2021. So that's that's a really nice paper. And you have done also many, many different studies, maybe discussing a little bit of your your study where you have done energy expenditure estimations with with children from accelerometer data. Could you tell a little bit how how did you do the study? Yeah, so this was actually my first study in collaboration with the research group that I'm working with at the moment here in Sweden. So in the that point, they visited us in Granada and we agreed on carrying out that study. So I was starting to collaborate in GJR at that moment. I was impressed of how many different metrics you can get from the accelerometer data. So you could get, I mean, at that moment, people were mainly using the, the activity counts. And then I was learning a lot about these different metrics, about uh, math, about ENMO, about all these different filters you can apply to the data to get different uh, summaries of the acceleration signal. And we were just wondering, uh, okay, is any of this better than other? Is, is any of this a better descriptor of, for example, the energy expenditure throughout the day? And this was our research question here. So if you filter the signal in different ways, if you get activity counts or you get ENMO or you get math or any other metric, would you have a better estimation of the energy expenditure? And it turned out that the, the, the people here in Sweden, they had very good data on energy expenditure estimate, estimation through W-labeled water in preschoolers. And they also had accelerometer data recorded from wrist-worn accelerometers. So we had anything we need. We, we needed to answer that question, and we proposed them 
that they studied, they were happy to, to, to do it. And that's how, how it turned out to be the, the study. <laughs> so pretty, pretty good, good date to start with that you have raw data from actometers and you have double labeled water measurements. So, so really, really good start, really good reference. How, how did the results look? How did you get the best estimate of energy expenditure? So in that study, what we found, uh, I mean, this is this was a, a relatively small sample. If I'm not wrong, it was around 40 preschoolers uh, we included there. And what we got is we found slightly better estimations of energy expenditure using the metrics that were implemented in GJR, and this is Enmo, MAT, and some other. Uh, uh, some other metrics that are in GGR than when we use activity counts. And I'm not saying that uh, these metrics are better than activity counts. It will depend on, on different factors, on the population and on what you want to measure. But at that point, in preschoolers using risk one accelerometers, we get better estimations of energy expenditure using the metrics in GGR than the metrics, than the activity counts. And we think this is because the this the activity counts were mainly developed for hip worn accelerometers. So maybe when you calculate, and I'm only say saying maybe because I don't know for sure, but maybe when you calculate activity counts in risk, you miss part of the signal that can explain some of the variation in uh, in energy expenditure. Maybe that's that's uh, an answer to that. And some of the metrics that were developed in GDR, they were actually developed using real accelerometers. So maybe they included these parts of the signal that were still providing useful information. So at that point, using real accelerometers in preschoolers, we got better estimations of energy expenditure with these metrics. And maybe this this is a, a, an explanation to that. But uh, yeah, it should be confirmed for sure with more studies and with studies using different uh, placements for the accelerometers and, and so on. It's it's a little bit difficult with with small small children that what's the best best wearing location. Some are a little bit easier to attach the device. They don't get destroyed or or even eaten. <laughs> Somebody was saying one researcher was saying that the children were like eating the strap from the yeah, wrist. So I think that risk is independent of the accelerometer location. Yeah, yeah. So so lo- lot of questions, but you had quite a good good results with the wrist wrist one with, with children. And you have also done studies related to cognition and brain anatomy and relation to physical activity. Could you could you tell a little bit more about these studies? Yeah, this was the Active Brains project. It's how this project was called. And this was the main project in my in my PhD thesis. Um, yeah, our main purpose there in that in that study was to investigate how uh, an exercise intervention could improve uh, brain health and children and brain health included some MRI estimates of, of brain structure and brain function, some <coughs> EEG estimates as well, and cognitive and uh, academic tests for to, to investigate the, the more this more of this behavioral part related to, to cognition. And in that project, uh, I was mainly my main responsibility there was the, the accelerometer re- recording and 
and so on. So I, I developed some studies on how the the physical activity and the sensory behavior and the sleep was related to the different cognitive outcomes that we had uh, measured in active range. Sounds, sounds like an interesting study. So how, how was the findings? How was the sedentary behavior and physical activity linked to brain and cognition? Yes, yeah, so I took advantage of this, all these questions that we were talking about before, about what analytical approach should we use and so on. So the, the study I did about physical activity and sedentary behavior uh, and the associations with the, with the with the MRI outcomes, with the brain structure. Uh, what I actually did was to investigate whether these associations were any different if you use different analytical approaches. So I use standard linear regressions and I use also compositional data analysis. And we investigated whether this, uh, and I also used uh, multivariate pattern analysis. And we investigated if the associations were any different using different approaches. And there were some differences, uh, but uh, mainly we found a small size associations with, uh, between physical activity and brain structure. <coughs> and, and this finding was consistent uh, throughout the different analytical approaches. So how much children move affects even the brain anatomy that you can actually see changes in the MRI images? Well, it was associated, you know, it's an association is not, we cannot say that there was an effect there. So we're not working on the on the effects of the exercise intervention on the brain health, uh, and hopefully the paper will be out soon. It's being under review at the moment. Yeah, yeah. And how, how, how long was the exercise intervention? It was four months long, so 20 weeks intervention. 20 weeks, and we offered the intervention from Monday to Friday, and the children could, could choose the days that the way they were going to the intervention. We recommended them to go at least three days per week. Um, and then we included in the analysis to all children that uh, attended to at least 70% of this recommendation of the, of the sessions per week. Yeah, and I'm not an expert of brain and how, how fast it changes did you did you look other studies how how quickly you usually see see changes in, in brain anatomy for example yeah so this is the the main limitation of this study that maybe four months are not enough to see changes in the in the brain structure uh, uh, yeah maybe you need more time than that but the, the there were not more, uh, a lot of research about that in, uh, at that point, and we just did. We just selected the, the time frame, the time frame that we knew that we could run the study for with the with all the funding that we got at, at that moment. And maybe, of course, longer interventions will produce a, a will have a higher effect on, on the brain anatomy. Uh, I I don't know how long it should be. I think there is not not an answer for that yet in the literature. And and what kind of studies you are doing at the moment? What kind of studies you are planning? What kind of studies you are applying for funding? What's what's coming in the future? Yeah, so here in Sweden, my, our m- main focus 
is uh, very young children, so we're working with preschoolers and, and, and children up to nine years old. And we are running some longitudinal studies. We have accelerometer data in different time points of their life, and we are working on this kind of longitudinal associations with different uh, outcomes, mainly body composition. And we also work in pregnant women, and we also have accelerometer data in pregnant women with some health-related outcomes as well. And I'm, as I've always been, I'm interested of, on this part of the methodological research on accelerometers and how, how to get the best from the accelerometer recording. So I'm still interested in that part of the, of the research in this kind of studies on methodological advances and so on. Uh, and I'm also trying to get into a bit more on epidemiology and I'm doing some collaborations with, with people in the field on this kind of epidemiological studies. So I'm also really interested in that. So, I mean, I guess like everyone in the field, I'm interested about too many different topics. <laughs> I just can't find the, the time to, 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 to get into all of them. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can see that. So, so small, small children, longitudinal data and body composition, how, how much do you have already longitudinal data and how, how long do you plan to be collecting from, from one, one person? Yeah, so at the moment, the longitudinal data we have in children, it's in, in a project that is called Ministop. The children were recruited when they were preschooler, when they were four years old. And we have uh, one time point at four years old, another one at five years old, and another one at nine years old, that is four years later. And we are not working with that data. Uh, let's see, in the future, we can get more more time points or, or not in the sample. It, it will depend on the on the funding and, and so on. And and then planning to see how it affects body composition mainly, right? Yeah, so at the moment uh, I'm working in a study that is about uh, how the physical activity in the different time points associated with body composition and physical fitness in these children. And we're running some structural equation models to, to see how the association is in the different time points. And, and this is, I would say, this is the, the main study that I'm running here in, in Sweden at the moment. So so you are interested in, in too many things, as you say, and, and then you have a lot of interesting studies there. Is there any collaborators you are looking for do you have any open positions uh, you can you can freely <laughs> the voice uh, this uh, it's it's free so you can say thank you so much uh, no, actually i don't have any open position i just joined the, the team here in sweden and i'm not uh, at that point where i can offer positions to anyone yet but hopefully in the in the future I will I will be in that in that position. But I mean uh, there are many fellowship opportunities here in Sweden and people are welcome to to, to look for them and, and try to 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 join us here. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, this has been really interesting discussions about GGIR and different analytics, epidemiological studies, and and so on. So. Thank you for taking the time for this this podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. 
This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in this show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcast or whichever app you use. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.